Dean. Dean. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> no, I'm just feeling weird, Alex. It's oh, all okay. Okay, okay. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. We are a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, you want to just go straight to the I do. awful? Okay, let's get let's straight, straight to, the, to awful. the awful shit. Yep. All right, so quick recap. What happened last episode? I know that a lot of people who, you know, are binging podcasts like normal people do will have just listened. Yeah, so they're set. But for Sunshine, it's been a week. It's been so long. <laughs> so long. And Sunshine doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> Stop outing me. <laughs> so Dean Coral, born and raised like a person. <laughs> born and raised like a person born and raised uh, mostly unremarkable childhood except for the flying squirrel thing yeah which still makes me uncomfortable yeah it's I mean as it should uh, mm-hmm. animal abuse is like a pretty big predictor of violence in criminals yeah it's bad it's big bad if your kid is wetting the bed and setting fires they're probably just a kid if your kid is torturing animals, they're probably going to grow up to be a serial killer. So, like, get on that shit now. Yeah. Please. Normal people don't abuse animals. I mean, that's true. That's like, true. intervene. 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 In some way. Other things about his childhood. Uh, his mom was real into getting married and then not being married and then doing that again. With the same people. With the same people. Over and over. That was that was mom's favorite pastime. That's probably why mom didn't realize the flying squirrel thing was weird. Mom was weird. Mom was weird. And and I'm sure that it slightly stunted Dean. I'm sure that it kind of gave him an I don't want to be close to people thing. But honestly, he had that when he was a kid. Right. Like, he was an introverted kid. I think he just had an excuse to be even more introverted. Right. Yeah. Also, mom started a candy company. Oh, that right. Dean became vice president of. Mm-hmm. And he is running all the machines and doing all the deliveries and doing all the work and being like the big boss man. And he starts getting real weird about having kids around all the time. Giving them candy. Like all the time. Doesn't he like renovate the inside of his office space to make it like kid friendly or something yeah he makes the he makes the candy company a little more kid friendly he adds a pool table in the back so that more teenagers will show up which is weird also around the end of the 60s he starts night digging if you recall the night digging right some good old night digging that's that's totally normal totally normal behavior no cause for alarm there Mm -mm. well he was burying food yeah because normal people bury food. Yep, food waste. Yep. Bury, gotta bury your food waste. Gotta, gotta bury your food waste. So, 
Mom moves away, and the candy shop starts sucking. And so the candy shop is actually technically closed before his first known murder. Oh, really? Yeah. That said, night digging. we already established known murder. Yeah. Like, that's... Seems like it probably wasn't his first one. Yeah, what we know about about his first murder... Mm. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems pretty unlikely that it was his first one. Yeah. And the candy shop is still important to the story overall because a lot of his future victims are kids that he groomed while, while he was the candy man. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's very sad. Grooming is so creepy. It's super creepy. It's super creepy and it's super what happened here. So we also talked about some super horrendous torture that we went over and we are and we went yeah. over it. <laughs> and we're not going to have to go over it again. But it was pretty awful. If you need to know the details and just, you know, just go back. Listen to our last episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Just backtrack a little bit. I definitely bit. talk about it. <laughs> All right. So one of the weird things about Dean Coral that we haven't gotten to yet is that it wasn't just Dean Coral. He had accomplices. Accomplices? Accomplices. Oh. Yeah. That's so, worse somehow. It's pretty bad. And of course, they were teenage boys. Right. Yeah. They were the very kids that he was abusing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Some he groomed for to be murdered, and some he groomed to be help murder. Oh. It's bad. That's it's pretty really gnarly. Bad, yeah. Yeah. This story, uh, there's a lot of reasons why this story is like this weird lost in time story that'll probably give like a big overall summary when we're at the end of the next episode. Mm-hmm. But I honestly think sometimes when a story just sucks way too much, people just can't deal with it. There's like, mm-hmm. nope. Yeah. Because there's some really, really gnarly serial killers that I know that are gnarlier than your, you know, than your classic favorites. Mm-hmm. And they're just not that famous. And they could be. I just think that they aren't because people are like, oh, no, 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 that's too big. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's too terrible. Yeah. Which, which like, valid. It's valid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, you can't, like, I get that. Yeah. Because some stuff you hear and you're just like, oh, that, oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, it's just no, no. it's the kind of stuff that maybe you don't think about it later, but it like that feeling comes back to mess with you later. Mm-hmm. So, accomplice time. Yes, accomplice time. Accomplice yes, time. accomplice time. Oh, accomplice time. So, we are starting with David Owen Brooks. Mm-hmm. He was born February twelfth, nineteen fifty-five. Making him how old when the murders occurred? So he is 15 when his story gets really involved. So okay. David Brooks had been coming to the Coral Candy Company since sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So he would have been like 11. And he was 15 in 1970. And getting getting closer to Coral. Mm-hmm. You know, he met he met Coral when he was... Like, 11, he got close to Coral, 
and now it's 1970. He's 15 okay. years old. Yeah. And David's parents were also divorced, you know, like Dean's. Mm -hmm. So he kind of bonded with him. He lived with his father, Alton, who was a tough redneck kind of guy who would pick on David for being weak and frail and a sissy. He was kind of this, like, lanky, blonde-haired boy who had, like, long hair and hippie glasses. Yeah. Okay. So it it was that time, you know? Yeah. She's just like... Calling him a sissy and a queer, mm-hmm. probably. And- yeah. And David felt something of a father figure in Dean. Mm-hmm. Because Dean was the first adult man that David had ever met who didn't make fun of him. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he developed, like... I mean, what probably would have been a healthy relationship if it was with a healthy person. Yeah. But was a toxic and horrible relationship under the context. Yeah. Oh, okay. <sighs> so, Dean begins assaulting David at 15. Mm-hmm. And in exchange for his silence, David got a blacklight. Or... Okay. Dean would start paying David, like, five or ten bucks Ugh. to let him orally sodomize him so basically dean would give david head and then okay pay him five or ten bucks to it probably wasn't even like discussed as silence money it was probably yeah. like you know i'm your father figure so here have some money for whatever because yeah. you're a teenager and joy yeah here you go and, pal. and it sort of made it so that he kind of had to continue existing with this abuse because it was his father figure yeah and so he was like well i don't want to lose this relationship so i'll just keep going along with it yeah yeah which i mean that's how grooming works yeah that's exactly how grooming works like welcome to pedophile 101 Ugh. <laughs> i don't not not welcome. favorite class least favorite class for no one i hope yeah. If Pedophile 101 is your favorite class, you need to turn yourself in. Yeah, or I guess maybe be, like, an investigator. Like, that's cool. Nah. Turn yourself in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go to the police right now. <laughs> so, David dropped out of high school freshman year. It's basically around this time he starts getting abused and, you know. There you go. That's a thing. Yep. And... At, at one point, he moved out of the Heights to live with his mom, mm-hmm. but he moved right back in with his dad. Hmm. I'm not 100% sure why, but that's just how it worked out. And moving back in with his dad meant he moved back into the Heights, meaning he moved right back into Dean. Yeah. So this is, this is our first accomplice, but he is not an accomplice yet. Okay. So let's get to the second and third murder. Okay. So James Glass and Danny Yates Mm -hmm. were 14-year-old best friends. Mm. And on December 13th, 1970, they go missing. So the boys are last seen walking together towards the exit of their church, Mm -hmm. where they were attending an anti-drug youth worship service. Oh, man. What wholesome boys. What wholesome boys. 
I mean, I think they were just teenage boys that were going to the thing that their parents made them go to. Oh, I'm sure. But somehow they were lured back to Dean's place. It's not a hundred percent like, ugh, sorry. It's not a hundred percent known how they were lured back. Right. But retrospectively, Danny's older sister, Cindy, recalled Danny telling her about an older man who had given them a ride to the movies and brought them beer on the way. That makes sense. By teenagers beer. Yeah. And, I mean, we were talking about him being Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And uh, later, you know, when, when all of this kind of unfolds, Cindy realized that the description that Danny had given her of this older man mm-hmm. matched Dean Coral. Uh. So it's entirely possible that they had basically made, like, uh, hey, we'll sneak out of church you know, we'll act like we're going to the bathroom, we'll sneak out of church, and mm-hmm. we can come party with you for a little while. Because yeah. when you're 14, you do not realize how fucking dangerous it is to go party with a 30-year-old. Right. You doesn't even register that that's, yeah. like, wildly inappropriate and totally <laughs> something that's, like, a-, a bad idea. I say, as an almost 30-year-old. Yeah, well, I don't want to fucking 30-year-olds are allowed to party with 30-year-olds. Yes, yes. <laughs> The point is that if you're a teenager, it's weird. Teenagers partying with 30-year-olds. We had this conversation last time. Yes, we did. I just thought it was funny that I implied that all 30-year-olds are dangerous to party with. Because they definitely are. Yes. I mean, that's a a safe general rule. That's fine. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) I don't want to party with anybody anyway. You want to party with me? Yeah, okay, fine. A little. (laughs) (laughs) So... We're not 100% sure that this is James Glass and Danny Yates, but we're pretty sure that this is James Glass and Danny Yates because the storylines line up. Okay. In early December, David Brooks decides to drop by Dean's place unannounced. Mm-hmm. And he walked in on Dean and two young boys who were all naked and the two boys were tied to the torture board. Oh, Dean shouts at David, you know, what are you doing here? And David immediately just turns around and leaves. Mm. Later, Dean tells David, it's okay. I'm part of a gay porn ring and I was paid to send the boys to California. What? Human trafficking is his cover-up story. It's okay. (laughs) Those they're gone now. It's basically that's not even like it's okay. What you think was happening wasn't happening, or like no, it's okay. Or like, or like those were my <laughs> nephews, and I just like they they got into some big drugs, and I was like just trying to like get them off. So that was just their weird come come down. They were having a bad trip, so I tied them to the board. I don't know, something. 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 Yeah, that that's wasn't a, weird a good thing. excuse. But was, he had a yeah. few days to think up something. Yeah. And he thought up, it's fine. I'm a human trafficker. Yeah, that's like... What? I'm in sex slavery. With children With and children. torture. I'm in children's sex slavery. It's fine. Oh my god. That's his cover story. That's... Ah. It, it's just like... I don't know what that says about Dean. I don't know what that says about David Brooks. I don't even, like, it says so many things. Yeah. Like, you are clearly so goddamn ingrained. 
You are so fucking crazy. Yeah. For sure. Just, there's so many things that are wrong with you. Well, I mean, who knows to what extent he'd been conditioned, too. Like, mm-hmm. they could have some pretty fucked up uh, core core beliefs, yeah. especially about sex. and Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if Dean had been molesting him for however long. Yeah, that's what I mean. You walk in on that and you're like, oh, you're just doing to them what you do to me. Mm -hmm. I guess under that context, it's fine. Ish. Which is just horrid, but. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the excuse. Then, of course, later, Dean comes clean. Not really sure why, but Dean does come clean about... Yeah, I actually killed those boys and they are buried in my boat shed. At that point, did he just have nothing left to lose? Like, Well, so I think, again, it was the, like, I don't want to tattle on my dad. Mm, yeah. And for his silence, Dean bought David a green Corvette for his 16th birthday. Oh. So he got something out of it. Of course, that, you know, now he's, like, he's kind of in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's totally in it. Like, absolutely, it is not an excuse. He should have gone to the police. But I am, I uh, understand why he didn't. You know? Well, to a point, he's a victim in this situation as well. Yeah. He's a victim. He's just also an accomplice. Right. He's being yeah. actively coerced, and he still should have, like, done something, but he was also still being actively coerced. Yeah. You know, that's... That's just one of those things that, like, grooming can do to a person. Mm-hmm. Just completely fuck you. So, Danny Yates, James Glass, their parents did look for their boys, mm-hmm. which is notable because not every parent did. Mm-hmm. Again, this is this really, really poor neighborhood. This is the 70s. We'll get into it, but mm-hmm. not every parent was as on top of looking for their missing kid. Yeah. Now, a lot of these parents are. But also, like, the level of concern for a kid who's missing and where you think that they might be or what they might be up to would probably totally different in that time and context as well. Yeah, I think it really, I think it really, really varies household to household. And we'll kind of tell that as part of this story. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how families reacted to stuff. Yeah. So... Both posted flyers around Houston, you know, of their missing kids. Mm -hmm. And this is really sad. Both dads were concerned that their boys had run away because they were too hard on them. Mm. Which is just really tragic. Like, I think that James had gotten in a fight with his dad over, like, cutting his hair. And Danny's dad was just, like, kind of strict. Like, shit like that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, you poor... Oh. Because... You know, they're not going to know what happens to their boys for however long. And then, yeah, and they're going to find out something absolutely terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and honestly, while you're thinking, well, my kids might be murdered, you're like, I really hope that they ran away because I'm a fucking terrible parent. Yeah. Like, your comfort is, no, I'm just a terrible parent. Mm-hmm. It's just super tragic. This whole story is really, really tragic. And... The families contacted the police to report them missing. Mm -hmm. And I made a reference to the police being shitty last time. I saw that shitty cops TM. Shitty cops TM. 
So the police just categorize them as runaways. Because mm. of course they are. Yeah. Now, I feel like, honestly, like, maybe before the 90s, any child that goes missing mm-hmm. is a runaway. Yeah. And all runaways are non-issues. You yeah. know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a common story. Yeah. And for one, it was, like, it was the 70s. It was, like, the end of the hippie movement. There were literally a lot of runaways at this yeah. time, technically speaking. Yeah, kids would just bail and go, like, do the hippie thing. Yeah. And I think that's why it kind of varies family to family. Mm-hmm. Because you've got some families where it's like, oh, yeah, my kid's run away before. And you've got some families that are like, no, my kid is not like that, and I know my kid. Yeah. And... And the police don't believe them that they're not a runaway. The police don't listen to them. The police don't care no matter what the families say. So so this is where we get into shitty cops TM. You know, quick aside. And for me, a quick aside is actually like a seven-year statement because it me. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your statement. But it's statement time. So the police department was grossly understaffed. Mm -hmm. They had 2,200 police. For a population of between one and two million people. That is not enough at all. That is not enough at all. That is like substantially less than half of the minimum required to police a population that size. Oh, wow. And obviously the police were super underpaid. Right. Of course. Now, the reason that they were understaffed and underpaid is because the police chief... Herman Short mm-hmm. refused to accept any federal aid because any federal aid was a handout. What the fuck? There was federal aid for the police department. Like, that's how the government and taxes work is like, hey, we take out we taxes. Go- yeah. We allot money to states for these and these and these things. Like law enforcement, which is important. Like law enforcement, which is important. And so this guy, Herman Short, is like, yeah, whatever, no, no federal aid, fuck off. Oh, my God, that's so so stupid. They have 2,200 underpaid police for all of Houston. That's insane. It's unacceptable. It's it's ridiculous. It is. I don't have words for how stupid of a decision that is. It's just ignorant pride you know well and i wonder if that played into like the fact that i don't know long term if that set the stage for the fact that houston's a pretty like crime-ridden place now like i recognize the cities grow and all that kind of stuff but also like patterns like that do get kind of entrenched um i think that so a lot of the not like research research but like kind of research that i got some of my information from Mm -hmm. was the last podcast on the left episodes on Dean Coral mm-hmm. and their main researcher, Marcus Parks is from Texas. Mm-hmm. So he kind of gave his like insider view on like the Texas side of things. And that was mm-hmm. really cool. And he was basically saying like, there was this old West culture to right. Houston at the time. Yeah, that would make sense. And I believe either at this time or leading up to this time, Houston was number one in the country for murder rate. Wow. Yeah. It was just wild. It was just really wild west wild. It, But like, you know, 
metropolis with suburbs and families. Wild West Wild. That's so crazy. It's just... It makes no sense, you know? Yeah. But of course, it kind of does make sense. It's just... It's a simple solution for a complicated problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Get over your stupid pride, accept your goddamn federal assistant handout money, mm-hmm. fix the damn problem. Yeah. But no, we've got our manly man Wild West pride. So a lot of police had second jobs. Yeah. And like, say what you will about police, you know, as... The people that we are, I I guess our podcast kind of sits somewhere between cops are necessary. We we sit somewhere between all cops are bastards and blue lives matter. Yeah. You know, we are we are on both sides at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the system is so deeply flawed that it's hard not to have uh, negative feelings for just any law enforcement. But at the same time, recognize that like they're really necessary and it'd be cool if we could just have a relationship of mutual respect and like work well yeah. together. A functioning society has a good police force. Yes. Not a corrupt police force, a good police force. Yes. I and just want a good police force. Please. Yeah. A good police force, like civil servants, people who, who risk their lives for other people should not have to get second jobs. Right. When my grandpa was a cop, he, has, he used to have a second job when he first That's got so started. That's so fucked yeah. up. That's so fucked. This was around the same time, really. Yeah. Yeah, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And rural, I mean, rural Western states, like, mm-hmm. fucking good luck. Yeah. Who knows if Utah was going through the same problem? Yeah. Well. <sighs> you know, because of this, like, this is kind of a really natural response the police were incredibly apathetic Mm -hmm. you know they were overworked and they were underpaid and so they didn't give a fuck about their job yeah yeah and more more horrifying information the homicide department had to cover 56 other types of crimes they weren't just investigating homicides 56 other types of crimes that's like all the crimes it was any crime where Greed was not the motive. So any violent crimes. Okay. Rape, arson, assault. Hmm. Yeah. Crimes against people. And guess how many homicide detectives they had? One. No. No. More than one. Ten. Forty-two. I shouldn't have lowballed it. Forty-two is not enough. Forty-two is not enough. For a... For for a... City's population... (laughs) Yeah. 42 is not enough. Nowhere near. No. 42. You could fit that in a high school classroom. Ugh. A high school classroom should not be the only people protecting us from murder and all of the other violent crimes. Right. Yeah. The (laughs) only ones who can investigate any kind of violent crime. 40 people. Yeah, that's not enough. It's just nuts. So they had almost no detectives- a lot of murders were uninvestigated. They'd spend an hour or two. What? Yeah, because they just didn't have time. Because it was a super, super high murder rate. Wow. With That's 42 so crazy. detectives. That's so crazy. Yeah. and Just murders sp- stacking up going unsolved because, mm-hmm. like, you're... Tons. That's, like, that's negligent. Yeah. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. 
<laughs> it's criminal, which is a weird thing to say in the context, but it is. Yeah. It really is. And it kind of it, it makes me even more believe that that first kill of Dean Corals wasn't his first kill. Yeah. Cuz like it's so easy to get away with it. Yeah, he could have gone through the sloppy murder part of a serial killer's, you know, evolution. Yeah. And nobody would have noticed. Ugh. So the murders you want to get you want to get angry and political for a second? Mm, yes. More than we already are. Mm-hmm. So the murders who weren't uninvestigated mm-hmm. were referred to as misdemeanor murders. Oh. And these were generally uh, people of color mm. and extremely poor white people. Misdemeanor murders. Holy misdemeanor shit. Misdemeanor murders. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wicked fucked up. Yeah, that's. That's really bad. Murder is not a misdemeanor. Murder is not a misdemeanor. <laughs> Trust me, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so, if you recall, the Heights at this time was poor as hell. Mm-hmm. So, even though most of Dean Coral's victims are white kids, They're they poor. are poor white kids. So, nobody cares. When they went missing. Yep. Mm. Now... Further, the missing person division didn't really look for missing persons. Okay. They would essentially put the name down, and if by chance they found the kid, they would tell the kid that they need to go back to school. Oh. If we see him, we'll let him know to go back to where he's supposed to be. Yeah. So it was basically like, I almost imagine it like a piece of paper that's like crumpled up in a drawer. Like Mm -hmm. that's their missing persons. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's about what it sounds like. Shit. It's basically what it sounds like. So you know what crimes were investigated? Mm, cattle theft. Drug crimes. Mm, of course. Yeah. 70s, right? Yep. We're on yep. drugs. Yep. Well, and also, you know, even now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this shit ain't new. <laughs> mm. So, that's yeah. That's so unsettling. So this- this bullshit is a child theme. murders going unprosecuted and uninvestigated because you gotta fight the drug war. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really fucked. It's really, really fucked. And and this this bullshit comes up story after story after story. I'm just gonna keep telling you really sad stories. Okay. So enjoy. Yay. So I've got a picture here. That's our boys. Mm-hmm. They're sitting on the ground. This is during, you know, after everything comes out. So they're a couple years older. Mm-hmm. And there's some investigators. And <laughs> David's the one on the right with the blonde hair and the glasses. Yep. And then Wayne is the one on the left who's got the brown hair. And Wayne, huh? He... Honestly, doesn't look that much less like lanky and nerdy, but yeah. he does look more confident because they're think... described very differently. Hmm. And I think that it's really just that David had a substantially more like shy, passive personality, mm-hmm. while Wayne was a lot more of a like, you know, like just a little shit teenager. Right. More confident and engaging. Mm hmm. So they're described like wildly differently. And 
they both just sort of seem like lanky teenage boys to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> but maybe that's an old person thing. Yeah, maybe. You're just like, oh, that's fucking teenage. All teenage boys look like... T- they look like teenage boys. Yes. <laughs> so, Dean had killed those boys. David walked in on it. Mm-hmm. Dean said, oh, it's fine. They're just child prostitutes. Just Jenny human trafficking clean. is cool. No, actually, I'm murdering kids. He did? He came clean? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. For his silence, he bought him a green Corvette. All right, duh. January 30th. So it's a, about six weeks later. Mm-hmm. Donald, who's 13, and Jerry, who's 15, Waldrop, mm-hmm. are brothers. They are walking to a bowling alley when Dean and David pick up Donald and Jerry. Okay. And they all go back to Dean's apartment. David watched Dean strangle the brothers. Hmm. So David is officially a knowing and active accomplice. Right. Because he was part of picking up the boys, probably being a teenager. Yeah. He was able to get the boys to come with them. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So now he's basically really in it. Mm-hmm. This is not back out of a bowl. No. I mean, no, it it's is. It's all, You can always stop murdering boys. You can. You can always <laughs> go to the police and be like, this fucked up shit happened. You can always stop murdering boys. But he is, he is definitely to a point of no return. Yes. He cannot get out of this without technically getting in some trouble. Yeah. So, again, the family looks for their sons, contacts police, even camping out the missing persons officer. What? Oh, like, yeah. So, you know, the missing persons for juveniles were assigned to d- different officers. Yeah. And so uh, I believe the dad, the Waldrop father, camped out his, cool. uh, the officer that was assigned to his, his boys. But Dang. they were just dismissed as runaways. Mm. Even though, so these boys lived half a mile from the church where Yates and Glass had disappeared from. Half of a mile. Yeah. So it would have required, like, an investigation. At all. On any level. For the police to be like, hmm, that's funky. Four boys have disappeared from this, like, mile area. Yeah. In, like, the last two months. Yeah. So, like, some of the boys are, like, not obviously tied together because they're not, like, from the heights, from Mm -hmm. the heights. But some of them are like this, where it's, like, if you had any officers assigned to work on this case, you would have found this information out. Right. Like, that's so obvious. Yeah. And it's, like, it's, it's really hard to really pinpoint who to blame other than this fucking police chief. Yeah, well, he done fucked up. Because if you just don't have the time to investigate, you just don't have the time to investigate. And even though it is your fucking duty, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah, you can't choose one. There's so many hours in the day. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it just sucks. Like this, this story just really sucks. Mm -hmm. Because basically one guy being like all high and proud is the reason that a fuckload of kids got murdered. Oh, it's so upsetting. It's really bad. So these boys were also buried in the boat shed, 
we kind of we kind of talked about this last time when I was talking about the murders. Mm-hmm. There there were like three main dumping sites. Yeah. There was the boat shed, there was the lake, the lake mm-hmm. house property, and then there was the beach. Mm-hmm. So I just want to clarify where everybody was buried because okay. it will help later when I talk about the um digging up of the bodies Ooh, yeah so then we go to randall harvey who is 15 it's march 9th 1971 david and dean picked up randall while he was biking to his job at a gas station Mm. now david and randall knew each other so most likely he was able to convince him to hop into coral's van to give him a ride to work Mm. Get in, we'll take you. Yeah. He was shot in the head and buried in the boat shed. Mm. Now, this story... Okay, all of them suck. Every single story sucks. I just... Every time I see, like, oh, it's this story, I'm like, oh, God, this story sucks. (laughs) Um. Yeah. It sucks having done all of this research because I see the headline and I'm not Mm. really reading to you. I'm, like, remembering, oh, "Oh, God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Our next murders, so let's see. We were January, then March, then May. So it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. it's like six weeks, like a month and a half breaks between murders. Although it is wild how many double murders. Yeah. Like David walked in on a double murder. Then his next murder that he helped with was a double murder. Then there was a single murder. And then this next one is a double double murder. Yeah, that is interesting. It's wild. Like, why is Dean so fucking insatiable? And also, what? Yeah. What's with the double murders? Yeah. Also, the fact that he was able to do a double murder, and that was the murder that David walked in on. Yeah. There's no way the murder before that was his first murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, huh? <laughs> There's no way. Because, like, I was talking about, like, the me- the muscle memory of, yeah. like, you know, killing one person and knowing what to do. Yeah, let alone You don't two. just go from, like, oh, I know how to kill one person expertly to I know how to kill two people expertly. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't just make that transition. Oh, this whole thing is so upsetting. And it's going to get so much more upsetting next episode. It just, it just progressively, mm. exponentially mm. upsetting. Okay. <sighs> So, it's May 29th. Mm-hmm. It's been another month and a half, as per usual. We have David Hillegeist, who's 13. We actually talked about him when we were going over the victims mm-hmm. and how young he looks. Yeah. Because he was 13. And Gregory Malley, Malley Winkle, who's 16. So, Malley had actually previously worked at the candy factory alongside his mother, Selma. Mm-hmm. And David Hillegeist, and I'll, because there's David Brooks and David Hillegeist while I'm telling the story, I will clarify. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Hillegeist used to loiter at the candy factory back in the free candy samples days. Right. So the boys were picked up while they were walking to the local swimming pool, Mm -hmm. which was a common hangout in buttfuck Egypt. Right. That makes sense. It's like swimming pool. pool, Long John Silver's. And like a chicken restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> like that's where they that's where they hang out. 
So that night, Mally actually called his mom to tell her he was in Freeport with friends and that he'd be getting a ride home soon. Hmm. So she didn't contact the police immediately when he didn't come home because he was actually on probation for bike theft. Ugh. So she didn't want to, like, get him in any more trouble with the police. Mm. Uh, but some neighbors did tell her that she had seen the boys getting into a white van. Mm. So the boys were strangled, buried in the boat shed. Now, the Hillegeist families contacted the police immediately. And ultimately, both families did end up contacting the police. Yeah. But the police figured that the phone call was proof enough that the boys were just runaways. Mm. Okay. Like, I'm at a different swimming location with buddies is proof that they ran away. Mm. I don't like that. This this police story is the worst police story. <laughs> Next to... There's a couple that are worse. <laughs> this one's horrid, though. So, the Hillegeists were... Just completely unwilling to believe that their son was a runaway. Yeah. For one, they were planning to leave for a family vacation the next day. Yeah, why would he run away from that? David had packed, and he had a $20 bill on his dresser set aside for the trip. Oh, that's a lot of money. like, if you're going to run away, well, back then it was. Yeah, I know. So I said this, I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back then, you know, 20 bucks and your shit's packed. You're going to run away. Grab the shit that you packed for the family vacation. And the money. Like right there. Bam. But he didn't. So how, why, why would he be a runaway? Yeah. That makes no sense. So the Hilla guys cap up the search on their own without the police. Mm -hmm. And the family even hired a private investigator who wasn't able to find anything more than this pimp from Dallas named Chicken Joe. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a point in the story that they go to Dallas and start sitting outside of gay clubs, hoping to find David Hillegeist. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. That's uh, that, that is way sad. Yeah. And to make matters worse, because the cops are awful. When the cops learn about the PI helping the Hillegeist family, they investigated the P.I. Mm. and brought him into court for an expired license. Ugh. That's so fucked up. It's like, it's like, pick your battles. I get that you only have so much time in the day. Pick the murder. Pick that battle. Not the P.I. with the expired license. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. The one who's helping the family that you won't help? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Now... Dorothy, who's David's mom, Dorothy Hillegeist, mm -hmm. also got a tip that Mally had a friend with a Plymouth GTX. If you recall, that was one of Dean's cars. Oh, he had I the did white not van, recall. And he had a Plymouth GTX. Mm -hmm. And she'd seen a Plymouth GTX around the neighborhood and got the license. Mm. And she gave all of this information to the police. Oh, my God. That's, like, all the information on a silver platter. <laughs> yeah. If if the police had investigated that tip, they had the car, model, and license. Guess where that would have led them? To Coral? It was Dean's car. 
Yep. Ugh. So the Hellegeists and Selma Winkle printed up flyers of the boys and had them hounded out around the neighborhood. Oh, like you do. Yeah. And one of the people that was most involved in the search and pamphlet distribution was a long childhood friend of Hillegeist, mm-hmm. 15-year-old Wayne Henley. Oh, no. Yeah. So, one more murder, mm. and then we'll get back to that. It's August 17th. It's been a little bit of a break. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. It's 1971, and we have Reuben Watson Haney, who's 17. Now, he was actually friends with David Brooks, and he left to go to the movies. Mm -hmm. And later he calls his mom to say that he's staying the night with David. Mm -hmm. He was strangled and buried in the boat shed. (sighs) So let's get to our second accomplice yeah which i know of a handful of serial killers that are accomplices like Mm -hmm. that have accomplices this is the only case i know of that has two accomplices yeah that's crazy i was thinking about that earlier yeah it's pretty wild so elmer wayne henley jr born may 9th 1956 i know elmer Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he's about a year younger than david Mm-hmm. He was the oldest of a family of four boys. And his father was extremely abusive and violent. Mm. So his parents divorced when he was 15, which okay. is a- about this time. So in seventh grade, Wayne began working to help out his family. Mm-hmm. And the- not at the candy company, right? No, no, he's just doing side jobs. Although it does kind of get there, but we'll get into it. He drops out entirely in ninth grade. So actually, he has a very, very similar life to David's. Mm-hmm. In the, like, broken home TM and right. you know, dropping out in ninth grade. A good potential victim. Mm-hmm. So Wayne was a much more outgoing kid than David. And a bit more of a wild kid. Mm -hmm. He'd ever gotten in trouble with the cops. I think he'd gotten in trouble for like an assault or something. He hung out with friends. He got drunk. He chased girls. Mm -hmm. You know, normal like shitty teenager stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Wayne already knew Dean, but not particularly closely. And David actually introduced Wayne and Dean in the winter of 1971. Mm-hmm probably thinking Wayne would be Dean's next victim. Yeah, probably, huh? Yeah. But for some reason, Dean took to Wayne and instead began grooming him. Mm. So Dean helped out Wayne and his family and kind of became like a family friend to Wayne's mom. Hmm. Even at one point, he attended Easter dinner. Whoa. With the family. Like, he is integrated. That's so creepy. That's so, yeah. so creepy. It's like, it's like, oh, here's our new Uncle Dean. Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's not great. 
Yeah, don't, don't spend any time alone with Uncle Dean. Don't spend any time, don't spend any time with Uncle Dean. Mm. So at first, Dean, so so Dean kind of like catches in on like, oh, family money troubles. Like, you know, you've got a single mom and four kids and, you know. Yeah. He kind of starts this grooming by offering to sell anything Wayne brought him, including anything that was stolen. Uh-huh. So he kind of introduces real, real baby step like crime. Yeah. Just, hey, I do crime. Hey, hey, just, you know, if you need the help with a little <laughs> crime, I do. I do little crime. I do a little crime. <laughs> and, you know. Wayne t- takes him up on the offer because mm-hmm. he had financial trouble. Yeah. And he's a teenager. Yeah, and he's a teenager. Yeah. I don't think I ever stole shit, but I was a weirdly moral kid. Like, I did mm-hmm. shitty teenager things, but I, like, always tried to avoid, like, anything that would harm others. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why I did the things I did. I don't know why I did the things I did. <laughs> Every teenager is weird. Yeah. <laughs> So, at one point, Dean actually asked Wayne if he could murder someone if he ever got caught stealing. And and Wayne said yes, but it, it's like, well, duh. Yeah, of course he's going to say He's yes. going to say that. Yeah, he's a 15-year-old boy who's all excited to be doing crime. Yeah. Then, around this time, you know, he's kind of been easing him into, hey, I do crime. He gives Wayne the gay porn ring story. Oh. And he tells Wayne that he'd give him 200 bucks for every boy he brought him. Mm-hmm. And he'd even pay a little extra if they were hot. Oh. Which is, I wrote that and I said it and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I said it and I didn't like it. Yeah, valid. <laughs> so initially, Wayne declined that particular offer because kidnapping boys is kind of a big deal. Yeah. It's a pretty big commitment. But his family money troubles were not going anywhere. Yeah. They were not getting better. And honestly, he was kind of into being part of this, like, mysterious crime ring. Like, he was he was into the excitement of doing crime. Right. And compared the, to the everyday, shitty, boring town life of the Heights. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, the potential yeah. notoriety or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little bit teenage boy stuff. And it's a little bit, like... I think he just sort of had it in him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, there's always that saying, like, everyone has their breaking point. Yeah. And some people's breaking points are a little earlier than others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sure that everyone could technically kill if under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. But, but I think all Wayne needed was permission. Yeah. I get what you're saying completely. Yeah. So the first boy that Wayne agrees to sell to Dean's gay porn ring, because mm. he still, you know, believes that that's the story, is this kid Willard Rusty Branch Jr., mm-hmm. who's 17. So it's February 9th, 1972. So Rusty is... He's the first boy that that Wayne helps Dean abduct. And Wayne offered Rusty some weed. Mm -hmm. And they go back to Dean's place. And Wayne tricked Rusty into the handcuff trick. Mm 
Oh. Which is, you know, let's see who can get out of these handcuffs faster. Mm-hmm. And Wayne had handcuff keys. Rusty didn't. Mm-hmm. So once Rusty's handcuffed, Wayne just fucking leaves. He just pieces thinking out. Thinking that he sold his buddy into sex slavery. Oh, man. And the next day, Rusty's gone. Wayne gets $200. Oh, man. Honestly, it kind of seemed like Wayne enjoyed the power of being involved in such heinous crimes. Like, you think he knew what the deal was? That they were going to get murdered? I think, well, I think being involved in sex slavery is pretty fucking heinous. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I Ugh. I honestly don't know what's more heinous. Yeah. Okay. Sex slavery v. murder. I don't know what's more ha- heinous. Mm-hmm. Sex slavery v. The, the kind of murder that Dean did. Dean murder worse. Yeah. I would agree with that completely. Because that's basically just sex slavery and murder. Yeah. Yeah. And torture. And torture. Yeah. Um. So he actually, he kind of gets into it. He ends up playing a more active role than David. Hmm. Who's, you know, like daddy figure with Dean. Yeah. So Rusty ended up being shot and buried in the boat shed. And here's the tragic part. His father was a Houston police officer who died of a heart attack while he was still searching for his son. Oh, man. It sucks. That's so upsetting. (sighs) So, yeah, that that story sucks. So our second our second Wayne responsible boy is Frank Aguirre. Aguirre. (laughs) Gotta roll that R. Frank Aguirre. Oh, that sounds really bad. I'm sorry, literally everyone who's not white. (laughs) And also Spanish-speaking people. Because people from Spain are pretty damn white. Because people from Spain are, yes. Yeah. So, Frank Aguirre is uh, 18. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is March 24th, 1972. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Frank is actually a pretty responsible 18 year old boy who works at the local long john silvers Mm -hmm. which is one of wayne's major loitering spots Mm -hmm. of course you know swimming pool long john silvers chicken place right that's where you (laughs) go that's where you go and he was also engaged to his 13 year old girlfriend Mm. Rhonda williams now to make to make it a little better uh, he, you know, he was madly in love with her. He wanted to get married, but his mom convinced him to wait until they were both done with high school because they had their whole lives ahead of them. They could wait. Oh, how nice. Good mom. So that's kind of like a nice bit of this really fucked up story. And, uh, Rhonda's family actually kind of liked Frank because, you know, he kind of went out of his way to like, you know, like he'd bring him chicken after work and just like cute little the teenage version of gentlemanly things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. March 24th, Frank calls Rhonda to tell her that he's going to come over after his shift. But at the end of his shift, Wayne convinces him to come back to Dean's place mm-hmm. for beer and weed and, you know, all that jazz. Yeah. To, to party with him and David first before going over to Rhonda's. Yeah. Like, you can go over to Rhonda's after. Let's just party real quick. Yeah. Frank and Wayne got high. 
And Wayne, again, challenged Frank to the handcuff trick. Hmm. And after Frank puts on the handcuffs, Dean starts dragging him over to the torture board. And I think Wayne might have been having second thoughts. I think Wayne was closer friends with Frank Mm -hmm. and was like, I don't know if I want to sell him into sex slavery. So he, he asks Dean if Frank would also be sold into the gay, gay porn ring like Rusty. And that's when Dean confesses to killing Rusty. Mm hmm. And Wayne didn't protest. I mean, at that point, though, what would you do? Like, how could you protest? Like, right. You're like, well, I mean, like, you could have, you know, there was you and David, although David's obviously an accomplice. So you don't really know. Yeah. And there's Frank, but he's handcuffed. Mm -hmm. And then there's Dean, who's a man who you know is capable of murder. Yeah. And I don't know... If Wayne knew where Dean's pistol was at this point. Yeah, he might not have. So it's entirely possible that he was like, well, I guess now is not the time to complain. Yeah. It's like, this is a bad, bad time to decide I don't like the situation. Oh, man. So, So Frank was strangled and all three... Helped to bury him at High Island Beach. Mm. So this is our second burial spot. Now, his family reported him missing the next day. Mm -hmm. And again, police brushed it off as another runaway. Which was super weird because not only did Frank have a fiance Mm -hmm. that he was madly in love with that he... Literally said, I'm coming over to your place after work, and then didn't. Yeah. But also, he had an unclaimed paycheck at work. Yeah, why would he run away without his paycheck? It's like another one of those, like, really? Mm -hmm. Really? Like, he had this really easy step to make running away that much easier. And didn't take it. Are you you sure (laughs) that he's just a runaway? (sighs) And Wayne tried to comfort Rhonda... Or at least get her to stop being so concerned about Frank. Mm. By telling her that the mafia had probably killed him. Oh my god. Yeah. So she didn't exactly buy it, but it's kind of one of those like, well, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So she, I guess, technically dropped it, but mm. she also didn't exactly she didn't think that frank had ran away and she didn't think that frank was killed by the mafia she just didn't know what happened she just didn't know yeah like everyone the fuck else in the heights except for three people Mm. (laughs) so our next boy is mark scott who's 17 he is last seen april 20th 1972 so he's getting closer together isn't he he's getting closer together so that's a thing mm-hmm. with serial killers. Right, they kind of like ramp it up. Mm-hmm, they start ramping up. And so that's why most serial killers actually don't have a particularly long kill span. This was something that really surprised me when I was hmm. first researching serial killers, was how many had like less than five years, had less than a year wow. as their like killing span. Or they'd have like 
a 12 year or some shit killing span but that's because they had one real messy murder at the very beginning and then like six or seven or eight years later they started killing again right you know mm-hmm. that is not at all uncommon and one of the big things that happens is they'll get addicted to killing yeah and so they start ramping up more and more and more and more and as they're ramping up more and more and more, they're doing it more and they're doing it less safely. Like they're mm-hmm. being more risky about things. They start getting more um, cocky about stuff yeah. and making really stupid mistakes. And that's when they get caught. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see near the end of this story, he is killing like there's like eight kids that go missing in two months. Mm. Like he's killing one a week. And he's still pulling some of his double murders. Like, he is going nuts. Oh, man. So, so yeah. No, they are getting closer together. Of course, this is just of the boys we know of. Mm. But, yes, they are getting closer together. And they very quickly sink into, like, a routine. Mm-hmm. Like, these three picking up boys... Dean killing them and then doing the like sheet wrap up oh man body disposal that we talked about so were they present for the torture oftentimes yeah Ugh. yeah they were there mm-hmm. now I think that they usually weren't involved in the torture I think Wayne might have been a little mm-hmm. I think David wasn't but yeah sometimes they literally watched him mm-hmm. like rape and brutalize these boys it's oh it's really fucked it's really really fucked Mm, yes i can't don't like that yeah (sighs) so april 20th mark scott this is another sad story and it gets even sadder Mm -hmm. but we're not there yet so mark scott was actually a friend of both david and wayne Mm. you know he's 17 he's their age yeah On the day he disappeared, he told his family that he was planning to take a trip to Mexico to relax for a few days. Like you do. Like you do. I mean, they're in Texas. When you're 17. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure that for, I mean, at least before maybe 9-11. I don't know. When did we get really weird about our borders? I feel like it's kind of recent. I feel like it's our lifetime. Yeah, it's been like 9-11. Yeah. But like before that, especially kids from Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. They would just go to Mexico. It's like, yo, I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. There's another serial killer story that I know where that's basically a plot device. Hmm. Um, oh, God, this this story sucks so bad. Okay. So we're not actually 100% sure how Mark ended up at Dean's, but mm-hmm. it was probably, you know, he ran into David and Wayne and they were like, hey, come party. Right. And, you know, he's going to Mexico to relax, so stopping by a party is not exactly, like, interrupting his plans. Yeah, yeah. So, Mark was forced to write a letter to his parents. Mm. And the letter said that he'd found a job in Austin, and he'd be back when he saved up enough money to pay his attorney. To pay his attorney? And, yeah, his parents didn't buy it because what the fuck. And also, he'd left behind his motorcycle. Which was, like, super beloved. Yeah. And, like, also, that's how you might go somewhere. Yeah. So, Mark was actually... He's the only story that I know of that was able to fight back. Mm-hmm. 
while one hand was tied to the torture board, Mark reached for a knife that he was able to swing at Dean. Yay. But he only, like, he cut Dean's shirt and he barely scratched the skin. Mm. And that's when Wayne runs out of the room and runs back in, pulls a gun on Mark. Mark just gave up. Mm. Which is just... So sad. Super sad. It's super sad. And Wayne and Dean strangled Mark together Mm. in this one. And I think that they strangled him right after this happened. They just went for it. Yeah. Like, I think... So I think it was kind of part of Dean's, like, sexual sadism. Mm -hmm. Was he would keep the boys alive longer when he really, really liked them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this basically, like, pissed him off and turned him off. So he just killed him because he was like, well, I'm not in the mood anymore. Right. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the impression I'm under anyway. And his body was buried at High Island Beach. So they start murdering him at the, or burying him at the beach after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they, they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his parents contacted the police when he didn't come back after a weekend. Mm-hmm. And of course. He just ran away. It's fine. He's a runaway. Yep. Then they received a postcard. But it didn't clarify anything for his family. It just made the police that much less likely to investigate. Mm. Like, the family did not feel satiated by this weird postcard. Yeah. But the police were like, oh, see? It's fine. There's your answer. Yeah. <sighs> so, April 20th, May 21st. May 21st. May 21st. Billy Balch Jr., who's 17, and Johnny DeLome, who's 16. Now, Billy was another kid that used to sell candy for the Coral Candy Company. Mm-hmm. And both boys attended Dean's parties. Oh, so they've been being did I? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I probably should have clarified that. I think I did in the last mm-hmm. episode that his parties got, like, more rowdy after the candy company closed. Oh, I don't remember if he said that or not, but that makes sense. Yeah. But he did have parties at his place... Where kids didn't get murdered. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So so both of these boys knew Dean through attending his parties. Mm-hmm. The boys left Billy's house to buy sodas. And they were expecting to return to go to the movies with Billy's family that evening. Mm. They were both forced to write letters to their family. I don't like that. I hate it so much, especially because most of the time the families are like, this is fucking weird. Mm -hmm. But the police are like, fuck, yeah, we don't have to investigate this. Not that we were anyway, but now we really don't have to. So Billy's letter claimed that he got a job as a trucker in Madisonville, Texas, Mm -hmm. loading and unloading trucks between Houston and Washington. It makes no sense. Which is. Yeah, exactly. So Billy's dad was a trucker. Oh, so, to a layman, that makes no sense. But he full-on knew that was not a real job. You do not carry the people that load the truck with the truck. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's so stupid. And 
Billy's dad actually knew about Dean. Really? Like, I don't know if he knew, knew about Dean, but, like, I think that he knew that, like, Billy was hanging out at Dean's place mm-hmm. a lot, and it was a little weird. Interesting. So he confronted Dean. Yes. But obviously Dean played ignorant, and there was really nothing he could do about it. Yeah. And in Johnny's letter, and this is kind of funny, sad, the spelling was suspiciously too good. Ugh. <laughs> they were like, he doesn't spell that that good. Oh, that's, not, that's not our son. Oh. <laughs> that's like cute and so, sad. Yeah. So Wayne actually murdered these boys. Really? Dean tortured them, but Wayne was the one. Well, Wayne was at least particularly involved. So he strangled Billy. Mm-hmm. And then he shot Johnny in the head. But the bullet actually wasn't true. It only knocked him out. Oh. So then he wakes up, and I think he's able to make out, like, Wayne, please don't. Mm. So Wayne and Dean strangled Johnny together. Mm. Mm. It's the worst. That's so the worst. It's the worst. There is an unexpected turn of events. Mm -hmm. David is betrayed. Mm. How so? So... This is also super fucked up. It's spring 1972, so, you know, around this time. And Dean invited David over. Mm -hmm. Dean knocked David out, tied him to the torture board, Mm. and sexually assaulted him several times. Mm. And David was actually certain that Dean was going to kill him. But then he just let him go. That's so weird. Super. It's super weird. And they never talk about it again. (sighs) Although they stayed friends, quote unquote, this did affect his relationship with Dean. Of course. (sighs) Yeah. He, you know, he never really trusts him again. He, he kind of gets less involved. You know, I mean, like, I don't know, paying somebody to let you suck their dick is a little weird, mm-hmm. but, like, I feel like I'd be a lot more willing to be comfortable with something like that because it feels technically consensual. Mm-hmm. This is no longer even in the gray area. Right. I mean, obviously, it's the the previous situation was rape. That's not at all what I'm saying. But, but it's the way you to, interpret it. Yeah, it can be hard. Yeah. Yeah, like, one can feel like a gray area. This is not gray. Right. There's nothing gray about this. Mm-hmm. So, basically, David 100% knows not to trust Dean now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he just doesn't have that comfort with him ever again. So, our next story is of this kid, Billy Reidinger, who's 19. Now... Reidinger is kidnapped and tied to the torture board and assaulted. But David, having recently been assaulted himself, actually tries to take care of Reidinger. Mm. And he begs Dean and Wayne not to kill him. And Dean let him go. Wow. And Billy just never told anyone about it. And Dean didn't, or nobody told it. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. 
it's super strange and it kind of it makes you realize how bad the 70s were for this like you can't be a victim you can't be gay Mm -hmm. you can't you know like all of these weird social mores that made it so that this kid had a super 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 traumatizing and actionable situation yeah and he just didn't do anything about it because he just didn't feel like he could yeah that's so crazy to me because that's yeah damn yeah this is this is that whole uh sexism hurts men too right that's what i was just thinking like that's you know where it's like, you know, this this kid was essentially forced to man up mm-hmm. and and hide his abuse, and also was afraid of because you know, I I think even now sometimes there's a belief that men can't be raped. Yeah, and so if a man is raped by another man, it's just some gay shit. Yeah. And in the 70s, it was absolutely like that. Yeah. You know? And so, even though he technically could have saved a lot of lives, he just couldn't bring himself to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not putting this on him. No. But I'm sure that when everything came to light, he, he must have had a really, really hard time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. Especially, I mean, like... You're sexually assaulted. So you know that this guy is sexually assaulting other boys. But you don't know that he's murdering. Right. You know? So there's not even any way that he could have known that he could no, have saved no, other lives. No, no, that's not even something worth... Yeah, that's... That's just... Not even part of the I equation. Just, yeah. I, I guess I just feel really, really bad for people that get forced into some kind of survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure that that's what he was dealing with. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. I, I can't even imagine how hard that was. Hmm. <sighs> so, I don't know. I feel like this is a pretty good stopping point. Mm-hmm. We certainly do have, like, quite a few more victims to go through and, like, more story to tell. Yeah. I think stopping at... This is where the tone changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good stopping okay, point. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is you, is you get... You know, you... Like, we've introduced the accomplices. We've shown the accomplices doing this, like, well-oiled killing machine. Mm-hmm. And now we show that first crack. Yeah. Which was Dean... Turning on. Assaulting the shit out of one of his accomplices. Yeah. That's crazy, the fact that you would turn on him like that. And then yeah, still... it's such a crazy still story. Still have him around as an accomplice after that. Yeah, I cannot believe... I mean, like, I guess I understand that he probably was like, oh, I really like this kid. I don't want to kill him. I'm just going to rape him in a in a crazy pedophile way. Yeah. But I don't even slightly comprehend, like, what could have possibly been going on. At all? In a logical way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 trying to understand it from a super fucked up person's perspective, I guess I get it. Yeah. But you can understand pretty much anything from a super fucked up right, perspective. Right, but trying to apply any logic or survival instinct to it, and it just totally falls it does apart. does not make sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Oh, so that's that's the super super horrible story of about half of our victims. Right, a little sh- a little short of half of our victims. Cool. There's a lot of double murders, so it's hard to add up. Yeah, I cannot believe how many double murders this guy did. It's it's nuts. It's bonkers. It's blah blah. Oh, <laughs> there's just so many. There's just so many. I've never heard of that many double murders either. Yeah, I've- this case is absolutely. Like, the strangest. There are certainly a ton of double murders. So many. So many. (laughs) So, so yeah. We're probably about halfway through the murders. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if I insert the rest of the murders, it'll probably be a pretty long episode next next episode. Mm -hmm. But I think we can fit everything else into the next episode. Cool. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. Okay. Oh my god. Uh, Thanks for staying with us. I know that this was such a bummer. I hope it was an interesting bummer. It's an interesting bummer. (laughs) We are telling... We are telling a story that everybody knows they just don't know how they know it. And I kind of wish I didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) But you're also kind of like, oh damn. Oh damn, this is kind of neat. Knowledge is power, yeah. Like I kind of enjoy learning it on some fucked up level. I mean, we're all morbidly curious. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You are my creep enabling friend. I am a creep enabler. <laughs> I can't quite bring myself to creep as hard as others, so I enable. Yeah. So that's why I do the research, and then I tell you the thing in a slightly muffled way. Yes. But only slightly. Only slightly. Only slightly. You get the story. You just don't get the imagery. Yes. The way, the way I do. <laughs> All right. I hope everybody had fun. I'm sure they did. They love us. (laughs) (laughs) Please love me. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That's so bad. Uh, Oh, no. Kind of like how we had to make Buffy references. We have to make Matthew McConaughey references. Except for, like, I feel like we shouldn't be calling him by his real name. He should be the name of the creepy character in the show. I don't remember his name. Because I like McConaughey. I do. I do like McConaughey. And I honestly liked that character. Yeah. (laughs) I just, retrospectively, am terrified of that character. Yeah, retrospectively, you're like, ooh, I don't want my daughter to like that character. Like, now that I've met that man as a teenager and I'm now no longer a teenager, I'm like, oh no, that man a bad man. (laughs) That man a bad man, yep. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, let's do sign off stuff. Yeah. Um, sign off stuff. Obviously, follow us on all of the social media at Palm Pitch Pod. At Palm Pitch Pod, we are at Patreon. If you want to donate to my therapy fund, yay! Give Alex your money. <laughs> also, if we get to a certain point in Patreon money, we will start doing this show weekly. That's one of our goals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because basically, I need enough money to justify taking at least one day of work off a week. Mm -hmm. And then I think I can dedicate enough time to making the show to make this a weekly show. Help us reach our goals, please. Yes, please. And obviously share us with your friends. That is absolutely one of the best ways... Oh, my God. So I ran into Megan this weekend. Mm -hmm. Megan Murphy Mm -hmm. of Remedial Sex Ed. Yes. Apparently, her mom is one of our avid listeners. Oh, that's so funny. 
that brings me so much joy. Oh, I love that. I yeah. could I could kill over dead. <laughs> so so yeah, tell your friends. That is obviously a lovely way to share us. You know, if there's any episodes that have particularly struck you, feel free to share it. That sort of thing. Um, I think that's it. I think so. I think we've finally made a sticker plan. Yay! So look forward to merch soonish. Merch, 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 merch. Good, good song. Thank you. I liked it. It was very good. All right. And uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. All right. Okay. Love you. Love bye. You, bye. bye.